Welcome to Aw oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Bow, 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 bow. Oh, the guitar solos are back. Yeah. <laughs> That I've just means. <laughs> oh, have you been practicing? Great. Yeah, I was just practicing making sounds with my mouth. That's a good sign that the quarantine is still effective, but also yeah. easing up, and we're not going anywhere, though. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm bouncing off the walls. <laughs> oh, these weird times calls for weird tales. Because <laughs> that's what these episodes are about. Trademark. Trademark. Yeah. Trademark. <laughs> Uh, we are covering uh, more of the weird tales. I mean, we have a couple more left. I mean, we're making our way through all of it, but yeah, we probably have at least one or two, one, two to three episodes left to cover all of the weird tales. It's yeah. hard for me to tell because um, oh, yeah. the way that they're ordered in the omnibus, they're like all over the place. So I'm like hopping around, like whatever the order is in the two volume version that you have is like way wildly different from the omnibus version. Yes. Um, it's very funny. And they included, yeah. and the omnibus version includes two stories that are technically canon as well. The, oh, yeah. There's the story about Baba Yaga in there and as well as like Kostyuk, how the Kostyuk became deathless or whatever. I, oh, cool. Those are two canon stories. So it's all, it's always confusing. Their collections are confusing. Yeah. They were like, oh shit, we forgot these. Just uh, throw them in there. Yeah, that's exactly. It feels like an after. Throw them in weird tales. Oh, we didn't put that in our last collection. Shit. Fuck. <laughs> uh, somebody needs to organize better, yo. But we do have some fun stories. We'll get to those. A lot of thoughts about all that and little facts about just the creators. That's it. We'll respond to those. Yeah. But before we can get to those stories, what we got is we got what is... A segment that we love. We haven't had it for a while because the only way it's capable of happening is that one of our listeners decides to contact us. And what is that segment <laughs> called? It's called, oh boy, email. email. <laughs> yeah. We love it. It's one of our faves. This, you guys exist. Yes, you still exist. <laughs> You, this one gets right to it. You get to tell us if you're okay in this crazy time, which I love. This comes from a regular emailer from the past. It's Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew. <laughs> I love it. His email is specifically just, oh boy, email, which I love. <laughs> That's the, the, the title of it. And he says, hey, crappers. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I wrote in, but don't worry. I'm okay. Thank God. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are doing fine in these weird times. I'm actually fortunate to work for an environmental consulting firm that has continued to operate despite the coronavirus. So, wow. yeah, lucky for him. That's coming from the guy that has been laid off twice now during the, this quarantine. Twice. <laughs> so I've been able to keep working, but we don't really have much exposure to the general public. So it's a pretty good situation, and I'm grateful Great. for for, for it. Um, my heart goes out to all the healthcare workers and retail slash grocery workers who are on the front lines of exposure. They're all heroes. Still, I can't help but be a little envious of everyone who has had to stay home for all this time. It would have been nice to be able to work through some of my huge backlog of things to read and watch. Oh, well, I know how lucky I am not to have, have to worry about lost income. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my jobs that I lost 
was captioning videos for NFL, something that's very simple. But one of the things as a person who like is very middle class, sometimes leans into the lower, uh, is like anytime you'd watch like a, a very wealthy football player or even these commercials sometimes that are supposed to be supportive on air, like celebrities is people yeah. like saying from their like very wealthy houses and the comforts of their home and clearly don't have to worry about income. Like clearly just going like, yeah, man, you know, what's it's a, there's a silver lining. You go, you just get time with your family. We have all this free time. Right. I finally get to see my family and hang out with the kids and catch up on stuff and TV. And you're like, no, that's not how the rest of the world is. Right, right. People are. Nobody has millions of, of cash, like millions of dollars in cash, like just hanging out for their bills. Yeah. It, uh, that's the only time it really aggravated me. Was we'll I saw this shit. proposed thing for another like two grand a month or something like that for, but I don't know if that's gonna happen. Uh, like it was just like brought up. It would be nice for bills. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice for but bills. We'll see. Yeah, I'm hoping. I got. I mean, come Monday, I gotta start looking at ways to maybe like for the future. Did you apply for unemployment yet? Yeah, I am currently on unemployment, so okay, I'm, not, cool. I'm sucking from that government tea. Uh, <laughs> Whatever, man. Don't even feel like that because it's like money. You pay money towards it. No, and like yes. it's and I, I, I you fucking I, need it right now. Like, I'm you joking. Need it right now. That's hundred percent joking. And yeah. also, I don't feel guilty about it because I'd rather be working. It's not a situation where I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to work or anything. It's that I'd rather be of working. Of course. Of I course. mean, God, I, I wish, you know, hey, maybe uh, people will start paying us just to do this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so dumb. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's get back to. So people just like turned it off. They were like, oh, no. Click right then. They're like, they're going to no, start charging we're, us. No, we're not. <laughs> This is this feels For like a weird public tales service. coverage. <laughs> this is fully a public surface. Fuck. <laughs> uh, let's get back to Drew's email. He continues. Yeah. He says, anyway, now I'll get to some feedback I've been hanging on to for a while, starting with your Mignola to Fregredo episode, which seems like a lifetime ago. Yes, it does. Yeah. Before Fregredo was involved, this is something I knew, and I think we were we um Full disclosure, we know this information, but I'm going to still read the e email because I think it's great that he offered this up. And it's something I was holding on to uh, for the start of our um, our, our Darkness Calls um, episode. But who cares? This is great information. We can always touch on it again, especially with the gap that we're, we're now in between before we start the next um, regular episodes of Season 4 into Darkness Calls. He says, before Fergredo was involved, Darkness Calls was originally going to be drawn by Lee Bermejo, Bermejo, B-E-R-M-E-J-O. Probably he's best known for his collaboration with Brian Azarello, Azarello, Rayo, A-Z-Z-A-R-E-L-L-O. I pronounce the names terribly until someone tells me. On the Joker graphic novel, which is, yeah, very well known. When they first announced that someone else would be illustrating the main Hellboy storyline, of course, I was pretty wary of anybody anybody other than Mike Mignola drawing Hellboy. That seems yeah. natural. I would have been the same if I was um, constantly reading at the time. But they previewed some of um, Brijeo's pages in the back of some issues, which was crazy because they had a full issue drawn by him, uh, Bermejo. 
pages in the back of the issues, and they instantly grabbed me. His style was obviously very different from Mignola's, but he clearly understood how to draw Hellboy, which is not the case for many artists. And his style was very moody and expressive. I couldn't wait. So I want to I want to chime into his email right now and just show something that is weirdly I'm going to show you through the camera Kate cuz I know you don't have this. Yeah. It's weirdly I'm googling not... I'm googling Bermejo's like Hellboy stuff too though. Right. Because yeah. Weird Tales volume 2 has a one pager by Bermejo. It's called Prague. It's a one pager. That's all it yeah, is. Yeah, and that's not on my one volume version. Which is weird that they didn't include it in that large version. I wonder if that was a discrepancy yeah. or something. Or I wonder if they, I wonder if the rights or something, like if they end up not signing him or something to do, signing him on to do those comics, if they like lose the rights to his, to publish yeah. the other shit that he did. I, I have no I idea. Have, I'm just yeah, like exactly. guessing. Yeah, I don't know the logistics. Hellboy being a cre- a creator owned comic, I don't know what the logistics are for Dark Horse and all that. Right. That's very true. Or if there was a discrepancy in regards to that deal or the decision to to move on from him, I don't know. There's probably yeah. a lot behind the closed doors that we don't know. But this is like, it's pretty interesting. I mean, the art is very cool. Can you see that, Kate? A little bit. That is cool, yeah. It's him fighting like a, a gargoyle, if I assume. Yeah, uh, ogre gargoyle. Yeah, gargoyle because they're on top of like a a building in Prague, an old ancient building. Then it just has like a frame of an old man, uh, a panel of like a mouth with the word Shem S H E M, which probably I would need to look up to understand. And then it says Praga, and it's just a cool Hellboy, like uh, at night with like a. A silhouetted landscape in the back. So it's a very pretty page. Yeah. 100%. Very pretty. I can understand why people would be excited about that. But I mean, he didn't, he literally, um, and I'll share something with you uh, if you, or if you want to tap into the email, he does share at the bottom of his email, Drew sent us like a penciled page of Bermijo's like Hellboy. Oh, cool. So it's very cool to see, like, his work. His detail work is fucking great. Like... Yeah. It's so funny. His, like, skin and clothing... Like, Bermeo has this, like, crumpled paper look to stuff. Like, it's... uh, like, uh, Like, I mean, like, physically, when you, like, hold, like, a worn piece of paper or, like, wrapping paper or something. That's what it makes me think of. I think that's spot on. Yeah, it's very cool. It's like it gives it like some sort of immediately you feel like his it has age behind it. All of his yeah, stuff. like this texture. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, so that's very cool. I mean, and again, it's insane that they had a full issue drawn by him and then they were like, this doesn't feel right. You know? Yeah. Wild. So even no matter what happened, I mean, that's got to be hard for them and definitely for Lee Rumejo to like have to hear that. That's gotta be oof when you put all that work in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then he continues in the email. I'm just finding my place. Then after some time passed, Scott Alley said that Rumejo would no longer be involved and Duncan Fregredo was taking over as the artist. I wasn't familiar with his work. And when they first showed some of the pages, my initial reaction was that I was kind of disappointed. It seemed to me to be much more of an aping of Mignola's style than Bremijo's was. 
Of course, I trusted Mignola to choose somebody worthy of the task of drawing Hellboy, but I was much less excited about it at first. Luckily, once the book came out, it became clear that Fregredo was perfect for it. I quickly realized that he was not aping Mignola, just slightly tweaking his own style to fit the material. Needless to say, he totally won me over and has become one of my favorite artists. His work is so cinematic and expressive, and now I can't imagine any other artist taking the reins from Mignola as successfully as he did. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, personally, I like Figueroa's style a little bit more. Like, I think like the other artist is great. I, you know, he's obviously like super talented and good, but yeah, I think like Figueroa. Yeah. I think I agree with that assessment. He like has the flavor of it, but he's putting his own spin on it. It's cool. Yeah, totally. And I think uh, if I didn't read it already in the, the prior episode of our gearing up for dark uh, darkness calls he definitely in the forward talks about how he literally the regredo what we're talking about scott alley says that his style really like is just slightly into mignola's but it's always his own he just fully commits to his own thing and i guess that's why i love it so much and it's like being i mean again i i having the been a hellboy fan but only stayed on to the one the hellboy track and didn't broaden myself out to the bprd until we uh did the podcast Fregredo has been an equal to me to mignola i mean now i can put guy davis as well in there as well but Fregredo yeah. is just i love his stuff and i mean i I'm sad that I'm being stubborn and trying to make us wait through this quarantine in order to get there (laughs) because good God, I just want to be in the same room while you talk about it because I love his work. What Drew has said is also spot on as well, how expressive and cinematic it gets. So I think when we are, I think I have on my iPad because what I'll do, this is behind the scenes boringness. I'll read it digitally first, yeah. gearing up for the episode. Then I'll go through it again on the, my uh, library editions. And I usually want that when we record. But I had, there's a picture specifically from the first like issue of Darkness Calls that I took a screenshot of. Because I was like, this, I, this is gorgeous and cinematic and expressive. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I had to have it on my iPad. That's how much I loved it. <laughs> I stole that art. But great stuff. We can move on. That just, get, I hope, gets you excited for those uh, storylines, Kate. Totally. Then he continues. He says, now a few things about weird tales, <laughs> which is great. I love to hear people talk about these weird tales. They're just fun yeah. to talk about, and especially being non-canon and all that. So first off, you guys, I feel it's best to just take these as face value. Some of them, like Midnight Cowboy, I love Eric Powell, I think could work as canon if the reader if the reader chooses to think of them that way. Totally. Sure. But for the most part, like those early BPRD stories, they're just best understood as just fun, creative experiments to see what other creators can do with the characters and settings. Yeah. 100%. I, uh, I yeah I agree. I think that's a good assessment. It's just my job since you guys have to listen to me talk to be I'm going to be invested you have emo- to. I'm going to invest emotionally to every single story. <laughs> <laughs> that's his way of saying like Dave, take a breath. Exactly. Stop talking so loud and take more breaths. 
(laughs) (laughs) He continues. This is an interesting fact that he throws at us. um, And we briefly sort of off mic talked about this after this weeks after this episode was published. But he says, one thing worth pointing out is that Isaf, Isaf from Children of the Black Mound Mm -hmm. is Joseph Stalin. Wow. Interesting. We could have looked up the name that they printed in there and maybe found out that fact. Yeah, I didn't know Joseph Stalin's uh, real name. I didn't either. I don't know a yeah. lot. I mean, other than him being a dictator and those sort of things, I not. A, I don't know. I'm not very knowledgeable of him or his like rise to power and, you know, all of that. But he says now, I love this. This is what Drew says. He says, now, does knowing that improve the story or does it make it or make it more meaningful or relevant? Eh, that's debatable. <laughs> so this makes me think a lot, and I have a lot of thought. I think this is the part where I have the most to interject on this email. Yeah. I even pulled out my weird tales to like scan through that again to be like, does that change anything for my my honest response to that story? And I'm going to be honest, it doesn't. It felt like I had, and and I think that that story will work for some people and it will work for, like for me, it doesn't really work. It felt like I already described, you can go back to that episode, but in a sense, it felt very dense without really informing me of the density. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, I, I, I also know like, you know, bullet point facts about Stalin. Like I haven't really read a ton about him, but Aside from it being like we have him as a young man in the seminary with his like real or like original name, there's not like it doesn't feel like it has to be that character. So it's almost like it's like a kind of a superficial feeling thing to me because it doesn't like it doesn't really inform that character too much. For me, like, I feel like that story was almost more about, like, the relationship of that town with Baba Yaga and with, like, Catholicism versus, like... Marxism, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Not not even Marxism. Like, Catholicism versus the, like, folklore, the original, like, folklore of that town. Yes, I would agree. I think that felt like more of the core of the story. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool. Like, cool. Oh, that was Stalin. Okay. Great. Like, am I supposed to be like, yay, Stalin? (laughs) Well, that's uh, that's why I agree, because I think there's a part of me that gets frustrated by these kind of those kind of stories, because I mean, yeah, there's an argument that can be made that if you knew Stalin or if you researched Stalin, read up about him, then you maybe read it and go, oh, I get this. This is really cool and interesting. But I'm like, why do I need to at the at the core do so much work. And I have two examples that I think will, I want to use as like saying that like, I do, I will acknowledge and I'll always appreciate people infusing real history into a backstory or, or old folklore like Mignola. Mignola is the man of like taking a bunch of folk tales, infusing it into his worlds. But I don't, I don't feel like I have to have read the same material as him to fully enjoy his stories. Right. Right. Like, my first example, I think, is Rasputin. I think even though in the first issues of Sea Destruction, you get a little backstory about him. Yeah. I came to the table knowing Rasputin and, like, his history, his many attempts, the the many attempts on his life before he actually died, and, like, his weird mysticism and 
manipulation. So there's a, like an added element to the the fun of Mignola choosing him as the villain. Yeah. However, I would argue that Mignola was smart enough to use that. But if I was to come to the book and just read him as a blank Rasputin from Hellboy, I don't right. need to know any of that. Because Mignola makes it clear that that's not a, that's part of his history. That's not important. I understand Rasputin's goals in the book. Yeah, regardless. he like develops the character independently of the actual historical figure's real history. Exactly. Like, I'm. Yeah. A, you could walk away just going, "This guy's an evil wizard that wants to take right, to right. end the world," and he th- wants yeah. to be. He has this motivation to being something great. It like grounds it to be like, "Oh, he's the he's an evil wizard," but he was also like this historical figure. Uh, so I guess it gives it a little like automatic grounding, and and probably is nice for people who who are like big history buffs and think, you know, like. Totally. The real guy was a complete weirdo and it's cool to <laughs> use that. Like it's cool to like integrate that into the story. But yeah, this, this, the Stalin element of it didn't feel super like, like it paid off in any kind of big way. And like, doesn't really like, it's like, what are you saying about him? I guess like, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I shouldn't have to do that much work. I feel like for a story. But but again, I'm gonna say like this. I don't I don't want to say don't do that. Don't infuse yeah, I mean, that. I'm in. sure I'm sure it's very satisfying for a certain person who's like I studied you know I studied that element of history for at school and I think that's great. I have another example of something where I don't understand the history, but I still love the thing and love its core story. <laughs> this isn't comic books. This is movies. Did you happen to see the 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 remake or the 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 second version of Suspiria that yeah. came out. Yeah. I love that movie. I thought it was yeah. brilliant. There's a huge element in that movie that's about infusing histor- the history of Berlin in it. Yeah. And like yeah. the the wall and all that and the revolution that happened in Berlin, right? Yeah. I didn't understand that at all through that whole movie. <laughs> right. And I'll gladly admit it. But yeah. the core story was about my main lead character and her journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's a part of me that goes, oh, I bet if I learned about Berlin and that story, it would ha- enhance this story. But I think right. the core story is already strong enough. Right. It's not like essential. It's not like a. it's not essential to know every single thing about it to enjoy the story. Yes. So yeah. which I think is like, that's the balance of like, oh, this on its own is solid, like I think Mike Mignola has continuously done. But if yeah. I went and I read each folk folktale, if I want to, I would get a little more out of it. But I also mm-hmm. don't need to do it to, right. to 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 really truly enjoy and celebrate Mignola's work. Totally. So that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, Children of the I Black agree. Mound. But good. If anybody wants to give us more information about that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> It was also just such a bummer of a story. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, all of that aside, like whether or not we understood the history in the moment of reading it, it's just, it was such a, it wasn't my favorite to look at and it wasn't my favorite to read. Like, yeah. I feel like that's pretty harsh of a judgment for like a perfectly competent comic book. Like it wasn't like outright bad, but it's not something that I feel the need to revisit or, you know, totally. that I feel like you said, like, I don't feel guilty about not knowing the implied historical context of the main character. 
I agree. I don't know. No, I 100 percent agree. Uh, let's get back to Drew's email because yeah. it spurs a lot of conversation, which is why this email is great. Yeah. He continues to say, while I've always been kind of unsure how I feel about the dread within, taking so much directly from the exorcist, I do have to say that the creepiness is very effective. The panel where Liz first sees the demon face with the glowing orange eyes is probably the image that has stuck with me the most out of all of the world, the weird tales. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think that's a perfect, I, th- I think Drew's right to say that like, there is a thing of like, oh, they just took from the exorcist but i think that's what like why i like it is that it's not like that it feels like the writer is fully aware that like i'm not attempting to do something that's canon i'm just experimenting therefore i'm gonna draw exorcist what if hellboy was in the exorcist (laughs) yeah and it's like that's a really face value fun to that one but it, I agree with him. The The demon images and the recreations of the demon from Exorcist were definitely cool. They were awesome. Great. He gives me a little uh, help in this next paragraph. He says, you mentioned that someone said you should read the Baltimore novel before reading the comics. The novel was written first, of course. And I agree that if you're going to read it, you should read it before the comics. But I wanted to point out that if you just read the comics, every major plot point is covered. A lot of the novel is taken up with sort of sort of flashback tellings of the backstories of the supporting characters. But if oh. but if I yeah, exactly. I like that he's giving me this knowledge to not like feel pressured uh, to have to read the novel if you don't want to. But he says, but if I remember correctly, the comics actually flesh out Baltimore's story more than the novel does, which is fascinating. So in short, I definitely recommend the novel, but I would say that the comics are self-contained if one chooses not to read the novel. Great to know. Cool. Because uh, we've read two novels by said author, and they were pretty rough. So I, we'll see how I get through that one. Ooh. <laughs> uh, great. And then he says, this is directly to me, too, and my concerns from our last episode. I can hear Poppy barking in the background. Cute, yeah, cute, sorry. Cute. It's She's, fine, man. This is the life we live when we have to stay at home. <laughs> uh, he says, you mentioned that, the, that, the, that you hope that the Hellboy and the BPRD stories aren't like the Star Wars prequels and being too concerned with foreshadowing what comes later. He says, I will ease your mind. They're not like that. They're really more like the majority of the Hellboy short stories done by Manila that take place before Seed of Destruction, mostly self-contained without really being too concerned with Hellboy's future. That being said, they do introduce some of their own character arcs with threads that connect from story to story. That's kind of expected, I would think. Of course, they're not as great as the primary storyline, but they are well done and fun to read. Um, I, I would say that to me feels like a true... Hellboy, genuine Hellboy fan, when you can say they're not as great as the primary storyline, but they're still fun to read. That's an opinion. When someone is honest with me like that way, I fully trust them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if they were just like, oh, everything's great, I'd be like, oh, right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's varying degrees of great. Yeah. And it's like yeah. Mignola's a, a, a high bar to try to meet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Now this is the, the, the last stretch of his email, um, which is really cool. He, I, I like this little last bit. He says, lastly, I wanted to say I appreciated your shout out to the Hellboy Book Club podcast. It was truly, cr- truly crazy that both of your podcasts started at almost the exact same time. 
He says, yeah. I, yeah, it's wild. Just, you know, two great minds think alike, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've been listening to both since the beginning and I love them. And while nice. the very, yeah, thank you so much. I love that you're going back and forth. I bet they offer two different point of views, which is yeah. what the world's full of. <laughs> and he says, and while at the very beginning, both podcasts were covering the same stories, the book club moved through the storylines at, at, at a faster pace. So they've gotten pretty far ahead of you. Yeah, I think they're almost done with the main storyline, if not done. Okay. Uh, so they've gotten pretty far ahead of you at the same point. But coincidentally, they just started covering the weird tales this week. So for the first time since the very beginning, you guys are talking about some of the same stories at the same time. <laughs> Very cool and fascinating. <laughs> now, and then he says, now I have to confess. I have a confession to make. Since they're ahead of you in the reading order, they've been, there have been times when some facts or references I've told you guys about are things I just learned a few weeks earlier on their podcast. Hey, That's funny. I know. He says, hey, <laughs> I'm just spreading the knowledge. And I'm like, yeah, of course you are. Yeah. Like, I, I don't... I'm not mad at you for listening to another <laughs> podcast that's passionate about the same thing we are. Yeah, it's cool. And also, I'm curious now. I want to listen. And yeah, be like, I would be. Did you guys like this one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would be listening if I didn't have like my brain thinking about this material. My own podcast I listen to. Right? How many hours? <laughs> I guess it's like, but then I don't know. I would Drew did it. If we Drew were did it, hundred so. percent. If we weren't doing this podcast, I would be listening to theirs. That's just Fuck it. I'm gonna download it. Oh, I mean, I, I, I already have. I already subscribed long ago, and because um, I got, I was like, yeah, you gotta support, support it. Yeah. And they have, and again, like I love. The, again, I, I think it's honest. They, they, their different point of view. They approach it with this great uh, research brain that I don't possess. So I think it's wonderful that Drew is dipping his toe. I mean. If anything, you could probably say our our podcast is very personality uh, forward. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta offer something. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Beth. I is, hear Beth cackling, Beth is cackling at you. Cackling in the background at me. <laughs> uh, and we gotta glad. give them something because it ain't yeah. facts. It ain't facts. <laughs> it ain't facts. But I don't care. That's I started oh this. My God, I started this so to funny. love Hellboy. Uh, and I've never claimed to be an expert about any of this. And I have my so much time this time on my time my hands that I use it for other stuff. I love you know whatever. I I could expand on that more, but I love that Drew is dipping his toe, and I don't care where your knowledge comes from. I just love that you're sharing it with us. That's all that matters. And then he continues to say, "All right, now that this email is excessively long, I guess I better say goodbye. Goodbye. I love you." <laughs> Drew Campbell, amateur crapper. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like you're a full-time crapper. No yeah, amateur. you're more professional <laughs> than we are. <laughs> uh, we should start a list of crappers and just always just give them shout-outs online. And <laughs> Drew Campbell's the first. Him and Alex. <laughs> uh, some others out there, too, that are, are full-time crappers. Yeah. That I don't have their names readily available on the top of my brain right now. But that is a great email from Drew Campbell. Thank you so totally. much. That's the kind yeah, of email you. that I love where we, we, we hear your honest opinions about stuff. You share your knowledge when, no matter the source and you get us going. 
you got us thought, thinking even more <laughs> and deeper into this stuff and sharing our opinions. I love it. Ral Dave up. <laughs> uh, but that was great. I really, really appreciated that email. And for all yeah, those. Thank you, Joe. Yes. Thank you. And that goes to everybody out there. If you want to email us and share your thoughts on anything we've covered in the weird tales or otherwise from prior episodes, you can email us at ahcrap, a hellboy podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Yeah. So great. I'm going to step back and let Kate take the reins now. I mean, of course, I'll still be here. I'm not going away. <laughs> that, Bye, made Dave. Sound, that made it sound like I'm signing off. Uh, <laughs> but let's. Let's step into these weird tales. We got three yeah. stories to cover this week and see what we think yeah. of them. <laughs> Let's check them out. So, well, the first one's Friday and uh, Friday is written by Doug Petrie, uh, illustrated by Gene Cullen, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Michael Heisler, edited by Scott Alley. And it was published on December 10th, 2003 uh, in Hellboy Weird Tales number six. And yeah, it's like a, it's a pretty fun one. Like there's like crazy angles throughout the whole story. Like that I thought was pretty neat. It's, it's like such a different, wildly different kind of uh, style. Like even like everything from the frame of each panel is like skewed and like not perfectly square. It's like kind of like jutting out and angular and stuff like that. Um, some of the frames aren't fully like, encased in a frame you know what i mean like some uh -huh. of them are like yeah so i thought i thought that like stylistically to be so yeah just so like everything's dutch angled and wild and it creates like a lot of movement i thought that was really neat liz takes a phone call they're like is hellboy there she's like no but i can help you yes i'm serious like <laughs> that kind of thing yeah it was like i uh yeah yeah i can do it and she like Puts out her cigarette. She's going to go help with this monster. As she's leaving, we see that she was on mate.com. Like, she was on, like, a dating site or something. Yeah. She was having a lonely Friday. She drives her Dodge, her fucking Dodge Viper to the thing. Yeah, that's something she's I want to talk about very so much. So funny, dude. Why the I, fuck I do they have a Dodge like, Viper? She's a Dodge Viper? I mean, as a kid, I had like folders with, you know, like how you have like stationary and like folders with the Dodge Viper. I thought it was a very cool car as a little kid. So, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I it's so excessively dumb. Like it's really silly. It's like it's like a silly car to have in here. And it has like Lamborghini doors like, it, you know, like it opens up yeah. and it's really just a funny, but it's like kind of a fun touch in this story. Cause it's just, it's like, who cares? Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's like, and it looks cool. Like I like the rendering of everything in this story. Like, I think it looks pretty cool. My only best thoughts are like one, how is Liz either affording it or why did she choose to lease a fucking Dodge Viper? Did I like the idea that she's just leasing it. Yeah, because I can't, I can't assume that she would buy it because how could she afford it? The I mean, it's a government job. They can't be paying her that much. <laughs> Maybe it's like the BPRD had like money lying around and they were like, let's get a Viper. Why waste all that tactical budget very, on a Viper? It's not really incognito, you know? It's like a pretty 
flashy car. <laughs> or is it the Viper that was on the TV show Viper where it can change between this red and into that silver for really no yeah. fucking reason? Maybe it's like a chameleon Dodge Viper. <laughs> yeah. A Dodge chameleon. I hear they were bad at fishtailing, so this is also a dangerous drive. <laughs> well, she's skidding around in the comic. She's like, <laughs> driving past a fence. It's such a um, dumb choice, but it's, it's so pretty funny. funny. It did make me laugh, so I'm like, you know what? If I'm having fun reading this comic, then I'm fine with it. And then she kind of talks about, like, she's like, oh, my personality is like fire. Like, I like cigarettes, and I don't like aquariums. And she, <laughs> of course, the address she gets is for an aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> and this, like, gross monster. I like the disgusting, like, fingers. It reminds me of, um, there are those, like, comics that were, like, Zap comics and shit. Like, like, um, fuck. I can't think of the name. It, it was, like, just, like, gross-out comics that have, like, gross zoomed-in pictures of, like, nasty guy with skin and bad teeth. Oh, fuck me, man. I have, I have some. I'm like, I can't, I don't know which one you're thinking of. I mean, to me, he feels like a guy right now that's popular. It's like all the, like, creepy pasta characters they've created, like... Yeah, he looks like that, too. Yeah, he's like, he's got like a trench coat and sort of a hat that reminds me of like a scarecrow sort of a hat. Yeah. With like a big brim. He's got a lot of fingers, a lot of long fingers. And he's got a little girl held in the aquarium and he speaks in like this demonic, like you like these symbols in his little uh crinkly speech bubble and uh we sort of have like liz's inner monologue of like whatever it is it pretends to be human and all that cool stuff and then it like whips its hand towards liz and it has like this gross liquidy quality to it now it like becomes like almost like an oil slick or something shooting out at her it's gross he's gross yeah he attacks her splatters against her and she like bursts into flame but she still gets knocked back against the shark tank and then we see a harpoon come out of nowhere and just stab this creature in the chest and abe smashes through the shark tank Through the glass. I'm not thinking so smart right there, Rave. It's so funny. A shark, like, flies out. Yeah, like, the glass and the amount of water would just ruin this building. Like, I know it's an aquarium, but damn. You would kill that shark. (laughs) You would kill the shark. You'd probably kill everybody else. The pressure, the the fucking pounds of pressure against that glass must be enormous. But... (laughs) Still, Abe shot a harpoon through it and is walking through like a cool, like, you know, just cool and casual. Yeah. And then we see the little girl reunited with her parents in the background as they take the thing. The BPRD like loads the thing up on a stretcher into a van. Yeah, like her own paddy. It looks like an ambulance, but it's also it looks like like i guess it's their own paddy wagon (laughs) yeah it's like a combination of the two and liz is like after things get weird abe suggests that we abe suggests coffee it's friday who needs company me oh man it's just like recalls back to her earlier saying like it's friday who needs company and driving her driving her dodge viper to the aquarium (laughs) (laughs) so silly if I read this in third grade, it'd be the coolest thing I've ever read. I'd be like, it's got Dash Vipers, check. It's got the aquarium and sharks and stuff, check. I liked it. I liked it. It's so dumb. It's, it's, it's so pretty dumb. dumb to me. 
I didn't like it. I it liked bored it. me. Here's what I have to say about it. Abe throws her cigarette too at the end. He like takes her cigarette and throws it. Because they're trying to get her off those ciggies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't do anything for me other than what we're laughing at. <laughs> I think the drawings are cool. Like I, I think don't it's dislike, like I don't dislike uh Gene uh I'm not- Gene Cullen's art. Uh, Gene Cullen's yeah. like a classic. I'm not disagreeing guy. you that it's like. I'm not disagreeing with you that it's like pretty fucking dumb. But it, you know what? It, it makes me think of almost like it's like it would. It's like each of the pages would appear on the back of a cereal box or something. <laughs> like they're really fun to look at and don't totally make sense. <laughs> like it's. I don't know. It's silly. I get it. Um, I would I would say Gene Colan is a cool person that drew this, and I mean his art is good. He's he's well known for, of course, his signature titles come from like Daredevil, Howard the Duck, Tomb of Dracula, and then he also is a co-creator of Falcon, and then uh, also he's a co-creator of Captain Marvel, as well as Blade. Awesome. And he's like a very cool artist and everything. So I like that. I think more of my issue is more coming from the writer, which is Doug Petrie, who most known for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. He's a screenwriter and a director. Oh, really? Yeah. And he also did screenplays for Fantastic Four and Harriet the Spy. And so, like, I find this very interesting. And I'm going to I'm going to I know it's a short story. I know it's goofy. And I know I should just walk away from it. But (laughs) take a breath. Yeah, take a breath. It reminds me of a lot of why I was disappointed in Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. I know this is a crazy connection. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. So both of these sort of at the top start with what I think is going to be a strong a strong female or woman character at the top. Like I feel like, oh, they're, we're going in with like a strong independent woman who who might has complications like every great character like her being lonely in this and stuff but she like gets a call and she's told they want Hellboy but she's like I can take care of it and I'm like great we're gonna see Liz be capable of the job that she does similar in Crimson Peak we start with this 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 independent writer who's like gonna do it no matter even though the world is run by men she's gonna do it crimson peak as soon as she falls in love all of her like strength goes away and i hate the movie in this all i do is as soon as liz gets in her her viper she comes becomes almost (laughs) incapable of her job and then abe sabian has to save the day and i'm just it's just a little disappointing rather than seeing liz really like step it up rather than just being like oh i'm i got i need company and i <laughs> like that's this. totally fair <laughs> so it's just it was just slightly disappointing for me loving the liz character so much and yeah how, and I can how totally see that. strong mignola and arcudi have created her so and built yeah on. and she's just like looking for a date and that's like her whole <laughs> yeah. deal which I don't think is bad. I think that's a human thing, but don't make it like just her like sad and like. Liz would be able to get a date, dude. She drives a Dodge Viper and she's like a hottie. Oh shit, dude. She'd just light her finger on fire and a guy'd be like, yeah. Hey, cool. <laughs> I also smoke cigarettes. <sighs> that's what I imagine the conversation would be like. And I just, uh, this Liz, this, I mean, not this Liz, this Abe who just broke an aquarium being a half fish man and being so funny. I'm like, what? (laughs) 
you're that you're that unaware or just this this Abe is this Abe to me seems like and it's a funny version of Abe. It's like an early '80s action hero. Yeah, it's so silly. Where it's like, who gives a shit if we blow stuff up? It's like it's like if if it's if Abe was written for Lethal Weapon, where it's just like blow up the city. <laughs> who cares? We stopped the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, like don't think about it. <laughs> but you know, I I, I got to give it to you. It's some cool. It's some cool art, and a Dodge Viper is very fun to see in a BPRD. It's story. funny. God, it made me laugh. I was like a Dodge Viper. Oh, so dumb. Dodge Viper GTS. <laughs> cruising down the streets what year did those come out that they were like there was like that year that that was like in 95 or something God, you know so funny whatever whenever i was in grade school because i was like that what a cool car i remember yeah. having that and do you remember the prowler yeah i think i do remember the prowler Oh I'd have to see God. a picture. Of I had it. a folder with a fucking prowler on it, dude. It's it's <laughs> it looks like if a it looks like if a PT cruiser like was even thinner. Like it's such a silly. It's so silly, dude. Plymouth Prowler, man. Do, have some fun and Google that later. Like it's oh, I'm gonna insane. It's so dumb. it's insane. As a kid, I was like neat. Looks like a spaceship. <laughs> I love it. Oh, great. Well, You're dumb as shit. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, so that was Friday. <laughs> that was Friday. <laughs> and then we got, uh, okay, so then we got Command Performance was the next weird tale. Command Performance was written by Will Pfeiffer, illustrated by P. Craig Russell, colored by Laverne Kidzierski. Kidzierski? Yeah. Lettered by Galen Showman, edited by Scott Alley, and that was published on December 10th, 2003, as part of Hellboy Weird Tales number six. And yeah, so command performance. I, I would want to say that they, they, what's cool is that this is like a fun thing where like they're using a real thing for this story. The Grand Goulon, I don't know how to speak French. The theater that she used, the Grand Guinal was a real theater. Oh, cool. So it, 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 it existed and operated from uh, 1897 until 1962. So no big deal, but. Help. Look at you with some facts. Yeah, it's called Wiki. It's called Wiki. And I, I while reading it, <laughs> while reading it, I was like, I bet this was real. It feels like this yeah. isn't made up. Um, I don't know. Beyond, did a similar thing happen? Did people die there, or did they show like violent shows there? I think yeah, What's they were that? known for their naturalistic ideals and brutally true to theater. Like I, I'd have to do more research, but I'm pretty sure there was a lot of. Um, they had gory special effects and things like that. So yeah, they were Crazy. No, they were known for this thing that they talk about in the um uh in the story. In the story. So now Me? they're just like this writer is taking that liberty of like, oh, but what if it was this? You know what I mean? Yeah. So fun. So pretty cool. But I'll let you take back over, of course, to yeah. guide us through the story. Well, it's just like Hellboy going to Paris since nineteen ninety one. He ha he's investigating like, you know, since the early 1900s, there have been murders at this theater, like really ghastly murders. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to come stop this. We're going to go. And you see him going up to the theater along with like a crowd of people to go see the show. And when he gets inside, he's like talking to the actors 
who are all dressed like pretty crazy. Like the <laughs> <laughs> there's like a milkmaid looking woman and there's a guy with like um like a fur, like a sort of classic like caveman sort of situation, strongman kind of fur, you know, like over one shoulder. Yeah. A little kid. And we have sort of like a ringleader type guy with like a long one of those long, like tailed coats. And for a second, I was like, are we going to see like Ilsa here? Cause just cause you see the iron maiden for like two panels, but nothing really comes out of, well, until the very, very end, you kind of see a little something, but um, you just get the general vibe that it's pretty creepy there. There's like a million knives sticking out of every which way and like a guillotine and like all kinds of shit. Hellboy's like, all right, you know what? You guys aren't going to have a show right now because you're up to some shit. And the ringleader sort of guy is like, uh, yeah, we're going to have a show, okay? And it's going to be starring you. And the curtains open and there's a whole audience. And the actor, the like actor dressed like a strong man begins attacking Hellboy. Hellboy fucking shoots him in the face and his eyeball flies out, <laughs> which is pretty gruesome. Yeah. Like pretty gory. The audience stays quiet for that part. But then when the thing, the like monster strong man comes like stands back up with his eyeball dangling out and his brains exposed. And then the audience loves it. They're applauding and they, they love it. Hellboy just gives you like, oh, figures. And then um, the ringleader, you know, in a classic, classic, like ego driven monologue is kind of gives away his weakness. As long as one of us is uh, as long as one of us remains young and whole, thus do we all. And they all start attacking him. And now they all look a little bit more monstrous. The strongman has like little wings coming out. And the milkmaid is starting to sort of look like a bat, like a were bat. Like her, she's starting to get like hairy and like have this huge mouth with a million little teeth. And then you see the little kid that we saw earlier, like cowering in the corner. And Hellboy's like, oh, young and whole, eh? So he shoots the little boy in the chest. And then the kid like turns to dust like a classic kind of like vampire <laughs> poof of dust, you know? And, you know, he gives you like a little joke of like, that's the trouble with actors. They talk too much. And then they all explode into dust and light. And as the ashes are settling, the crowd like erupts and is like, bravo, bravo, and loves it. Hellboy like is sort of flattered and like is sort of like, huh. like kind of likes it. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, later after the crowd has dispersed, Abe is talking to Hellboy. He's like, I thought you were going to wait for me on this one. He's like, yeah, well, I didn't, you know, it sort of all happened quickly. And then a booking agent for the theater comes running out to Hellboy trying to, you know, keep him there and employ him at the theater because his show was so good. Hellboy's like, no, thanks. And, like, Abe kind of is jibing him, like, live entertainment. But Hellboy's like, yeah, the applause was a nice touch. And then you just get a little shot at the end of the um, Iron Maiden with a little tentacle sticking out, which is kind of nice for a Hellboy story. To include a tentacle is, like, polite. Yeah, and the Iron Maiden <laughs> is fully a nod to Hecate. So, yeah, very cool. It's cool. Yeah, so it's, like, a fun little silly story. Yeah, another one that, like, it just doesn't do much for me other than it's like cool that they have this backstory of this theater, which I, you know, looking up the little I know about it and like it definitely informed like 
what horror, the genre, like what we know of it now and how naturalistic it became for their productions. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't know. The story's art. I just don't, it doesn't do much for me. Yeah, yeah. And I feel I bad. Say, I, same. And I, I feel like, again, it's like his name, the main artist is P. Craig Russell, who is a Harvey and Eisner Award winner multiple times. Yeah, he's certainly like, like none of these artists are bad. It's like just a matter of like, do I like this style so much that I would want to, that I would like look this person up on their own. And maybe it's just in this context too. It's like sort of a more cartoony style. Like maybe if I was reading a different story that the style served better. Yes. Then it would be a different story, you know, then it would be like, okay, I do appreciate this artist more. But yeah, I think we do look at it through like with a bias because we're just used to Hellboy and used to Mignola and, and want to see a certain a certain look, even if it's like. But that's the thing, too, is like some of the cartoony artists are hitting that, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's funny, like what a it's like such a specific character. And it's like you got to I don't know. I don't know. It's really tough to capture the feeling for for me. And this one doesn't quite do it, but it's still like, you know, I don't hate it. I don't hate looking at it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to be like fair, you know, I'm trying to be fair. I agree. And I have no fair. certainly a good, talented yeah, person. I, I, I honestly want to see some of his other stuff because he's been around forever. There's a book he's known for called Night Music that is well known. Elric. I really want to look up his other work, actually. Like he's yeah. somebody that I'm very fascinated by. I just don't think he's my a person that I would go to to write this. He mainly, I mean, he also did a, a storyline by Mike Mignola called Phantom Stranger, which I would love to find out what that's all about. Cool. And, and again, I think mostly a lot of times it's less the art, even though some of the art in this for me, and I'm not going to call lazy is the harshest way to say it, but I don't think that's what I mean. It's just the line work to me. It just doesn't do much for me. Yeah. It almost does give it a, a feeling of incomplete at times, even though I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair to say. It's just not working for me, particularly yeah. throughout this story. Will Pfeiffer, the writer of it, he's most, he got like his big break with a book called Finals that he did with Jill Thompson, as well as he wrote for Catwoman for DC Comics up until its cancellation, as well as Blue Beetle. And he did an issue of Wonder Woman, Teen Titans in July to 2014. And, he, again, these guys are very well accomplished. Also, this, what's funny is this guy, this writer, Will Pfeiffer, does a podcast called Out of Theaters about movies as well and does another one called Pictures Within Pictures. So I might want to check that out and see what that's all about because I love movies so much. But again, I, I guess this also has that element where it's a little disappointing to see such a brutal Hellboy and being so reliant on his gun. <laughs> to get the yeah. story pushed forward. Like, I do think that like when I read this, I was like, oh, this will probably be a little fun story in this, this theater that murders and so forth. And you clearly, I mean, from the get go, you're like, yeah, something's up. It's not really, it's wearing its mystery on its sleeve, but oh yeah, for sure. Which is not a fault of it. I think that's exactly what they're intending to yeah, they do. gotta like get to the point you know it's hard with with so few pages too yeah like you don't want to judge their storytelling based just on that but 100 but i mean mignola does it a lot I, I don't know mignola does it pretty well yeah he knows how to i think mignola knows how to use 
less and get more out of it yeah. than most other writer creators. But I just think that initial, I'll be honest, that initial shot to the head felt so insane to me that it almost yeah it's pretty jarring yeah jarring is the best word to, to call it it just felt so and i and i think again they're leaning into the violence of the of the theater and the audience's response to it but it just feels like one he's a bad shot so i guess that's why it does hit the top of his head but it's just like that being hellboy's first move seems so out of character for me for hellboy just to get that gruesome hit. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I get it. They're just leaning into their own story, but it just sort of breaks character for me. I mean, he gets overwhelmed, but I just feel like he'd, he'd be able to hold his own with his right hand of doom a little bit better. And I don't know. I mean, the, if I get it, it just doesn't, I mean, it's just not for me. Yeah. Is what it really yeah. comes down to it. I guess I just think the whole thing is a little corny. Even the whole last dialogue with Abe Sabian and, the applause was a nice touch. It's all just, it's leaning into Mignola's humor with him, but it's just like, it's too fucking corny to, for me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Even the guy coming in like, we want to hire you. Whoa. Right, right. <laughs> it's pretty goofy. Very goofy to me. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's like a storyline where I'm like, it's cool that it's Hellboy. I love the nod to this old theater for horror. I wonder if it's something that Mignola himself was fascinated at some point. That would be fun thing to like know. And it's cool that they put that history where, again, this is another, we've already talked about this, but this is another thing I will hand it to them. Like me looking up this theater enhances my read of this, this simple story, but it doesn't, it's not dependent on it. Right. So I got to give him that, uh, which is very fun. I just, like he lays it out. It gives you enough of the history. He's not like being coy about it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I don't really have much to say other than the villain, the main bad guy, the youth one is, you know, looks like a Dennis the Menace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty, that's a good description. Yeah, I guess I just, it doesn't, it does, I'm not, I'm not thrilled by it. I, w yeah. I would like to see this guy's art in a different context that's outside of a Hellboy story. Totally fair. Well, I think that, yeah, I think like for kind of all of them today, I mean, well, we'll talk about, let's talk about the last one. Yeah. Love is, love is scarier than death. Oh, a cheeky is the sort of story. <laughs> yes, very. And that this one's written by J.H. Williams III and Hayden Blackman, illustrated by J.H. Williams III, lettered by Todd Klein, edited by Scott Alley. And this one was published on October 15th, 2003 in Hellboy Weird Tales number five. So this one, Hellboy is hanging with this FBI agent, um, Agent Granger, and they're pretending to be like lovers in the back of a car, like in a lover's lane situation, because there have been these attacks by a goat man on, you know, couples hooking up in their car. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like Agent Granger is like, basically hitting on Hellboy too. There's a lot of like close-up shots of like lipstick being put on and Hellboy's like against it in a big way. He like wants to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. And it's like night after night, this thing's not showing up. They're sort of like talking a little bit more. Hellboy's like, you know what? I think I have to go to like the Congo or so. I forget where he even says. He's like, Congo, I think I gotta yeah. like investigate somewhere else and she's like can't like abe sapien investigate the congo like kids are dying here and uh 
she like read about his love life on a website and talks about how there are like multiple websites dedicated to Hellboy's love life. And he's like getting uncomfortable and like shrinking into the like side of the car. <laughs> and then at, finally on like night seven, after a while, he's like, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave after a little bit. So if this thing doesn't show up, I'm just going to bail. And then on night seven, she's like, we should like make out for real because that's when this thing comes and maybe it's attracted to like hormones or something. And she's like, you know, wearing like a low cut dress and is like, wow, 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 wow. And trying to like make out. And Hellboy's like, uh, <laughs> he's like, I guess getting like, he's like sort of getting convinced, but not really. He's still like kind of against it. He's like, Goatman isn't even real. And then she's like, then we won't get interrupted. Where's the problem? And like, so it's like she really likes Hellboy, but Hellboy's kind of not for it. And then as soon as she like try, gets on top of Hellboy, the roof of the car gets ripped off and the goat man's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Hellboy like jumps out. She like uh, Agent Granger like shoots the goat man and he kind of staggers back. As Hellboy hops out of the car, he's like, Book me on the next flight home. This won't take long. And he beats up the goat. He's like grabbing its little goat beard and stuff. He tells the goat, thanks for the rescue, pal. It was getting a little hot in there, even for me. <laughs> and like beats up the goat. I love the goats, like the choice to make the goat like have some sort of verbalization when he tells him that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's huh? Like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so she's still like Agent Granger's still kind of like weirdly flirting with him. He's like, Look, Emma, my life is really weird. And she's like, I can handle weird. I just spent a year hunting down a giant man goat. Well, I'll tell you one thing I'm not getting in the backseat of another car ever. Oh, my parents are going to love you, or my parents would love you. And that's it. That's like the end. <laughs> like she's still flirting with him. And he's like, No, I said. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> this is a, a issue about consent. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I'm not interested in you. And I've said it over seven days. Yikes. Stop trying to make out. Wow. She wants more than make out. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she wants a bone. <laughs> yeah, she wants some fucking demon dick. <laughs> she wants to fuck. She wants that big red dick. A big red dick. <laughs> it's very silly. It's like... It's just like funny to me. It's like, it's a funny thing to put on Hellboy's character to make him like, I don't know. Also, his T-shirt says heart to rock, <laughs> yeah. like love to rock. It's like a picture of a heart. There's like a heart theme throughout, like the at the bottom of every page. There's a little panel with a heart in it. Yeah, it's like, guess it's representing her heart as it slowly... Yeah, some that, it's like bleeding and breaking. And at the end, it's back. She's like, I'm in love with him even more. Yeah. <laughs> at the end, it's like red and good. Yeah. I don't know what so, I... So, you know, it's like... <laughs> I love the art of this of this one. I think... It is cool. I do like the art, yeah. I think it's fun that this goat man is a real... Like a... From, it's a... Goat man is from Maryland. I thought it would be something. I was like, this has to be like an old urban legend. Like the Jersey, uh, what's the Jersey one? Oh. The Jersey Devil? Yeah. And so I looked yeah. it up and it's, it is like a goat man, half man, half goat human creature that has a head and like, you know, has an axe. It's from Maryland. It's like the goat man of Maryland. Yeah, it's a real thing. I love like any like cryptozoology kind of folklore shit is so fun to me. I think it's like, 
They're just like fun. That and Mothman. Mothman's also Maryland, isn't it? Or is that like Virginia? Probably. Yeah. It seems sort of like that East Coast area either way. Yeah. Yeah. Mothman is so interesting and fun. Um, this one, it sounds like, you know, teenagers kept it alive from boredom, but then also like some people just say it's just cause there was like a hermit that lived in the woods that had like a long beard and people just made him the goat man. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's probably like always just like a weirdo lives there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the writer Hayden Blackman that wrote this, he comes from mainly, he like writes video games. That's like his big, like big claim. Oh, that's he did funny. comics, of course, as well. Like, I wonder how you get into writing video games. I think it's just like any writing job. You know what I mean? You eventually just you write storylines. He like, and then he like wrote Batwoman. He wrote Elektra for Marvel, Master of Kung Fu for Marvel. He's done a bunch of Star Wars stuff. Penned several. He did tons of Star Wars, Star Wars comics. That included Jango Fett, Starfighter, Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison stuff. I've never cool. read, but he's done a lot. For Lucas Arts is a lot of his stuff, um, role playing. He did like mass. He like he served as a producer on the like Star Wars Galaxies role playing game. So he's done a bunch of stuff. And then J. H. Williams, who I I think is my favorite part of this, is actually the look of the story. I think I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Is what I pre- the most. Um, I think so too. Yeah, I like the look of it. But he's he's worked on several projects, of course. His best known is like Chase Promethea. Dissolution Jones, Batwoman. That's where I recognize it is his Batwoman. I've read it. I, yes. I have his like the first trade of his Batwoman. And I cool. really, I really liked the Batwoman that he did. And I love the look of it. And that's where I recognize it from. If you haven't read his the Batwoman that he did, I think it's great. It almost I wonder what he uses to color. Like it's crazy. Yeah, that would be a good thing to like research and find out. Um, it has such like a it has like a colored pencil texture. Yeah, I agree with you. I love that texture. It's that that softness. Yeah. To, to it, to every little touch and stroke is really cool, and it gives the outlines. It the outline is very different texture than when you're used to in a comic book form. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah, the absence of a dark black outline is like very noticeable in a comic format. It's crazy. I guess I find this story fun. I just don't like. I I have no. It's just. I'm like, what? <laughs> she just wants to. It's a story about Goatman and somebody wanting to really fuck Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, it's like funny. It's like, it's a funny story, but it's also like, I mean, this lady should take no for an answer. She's, you know, Hellboy clearly is uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's also the first mention of his girlfriend, which we've only known about at this point in the novel, Anastasia. Right. She brings him up, brings her up. Which is very yeah. fascinating. It's like really the second time then that sexuality and sex has really been in the story for Hellboy. Yeah. And he's pretty uncomfortable with it. It's like a funny trait to give him. Yeah, I agree. In this, like he's, you know, he's pretty unflappable in every other way. But it feels when it comes to sex, he's like gets sweaty hands and like can't. Oh, no. Or he doesn't. He just doesn't want to. Yeah. But I do think that's a fun character trait in general to be like, I feel like that's very American. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like America's like you're up in America and you're sort of like taught that sex is always taboo, even if you're in like a yeah. relationship. So it's very funny to like give this character who's like, I can punch a monster. I can take on anything in the world but sex right he's otherwise super macho and and now he's like leave it in the bedroom 
<laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It's very silly. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the way he deals with the monster, like, he even thinks the monster, you know? Like, right. for distracting like, Thanks for getting me out of this situation. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, maybe it's a trait that we'll see more that I'm not, I don't know for sure, but it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I do like the art. I think it's something that's very cool. I like looking at it. I don't know if I necessarily... I like, like when he pulls the goat's beard. I think it's really fun. I was going to say that's probably my favorite panel. It's yeah. so funny. It, The art is really cool. I just like that tactic, too, of just grabbing what hold of that his goatee to get hold of him. <laughs> yeah, grabbing his face. And I really like that also, the panel after that, the one where his right hand of doom is holding... Goat man's face. It's so cool. Right, like squishing it. <laughs> it really shows you the power of that hand. I love that. Totally. <laughs> I think it's funny too, just the sexual nature of it, just how much her her attire. It's funny that she's first like in a suit at the beginning and a short skirt. Then she's like in a sweater. And then she's just like, well, then I'm going to wear this red dress with a low cut. Yeah, you get the impression that she's trying different looks, trying to like see what Hellboy responds to. Yeah. It's very funny. And he responds to none of it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not into it, lady. <laughs> oh, wow. What if she would have went forward with it? You know what I mean? That's what I'm curious. I don't know. I guess they, I don't know. You got to get enthusiastic consent, lady. <laughs> Hellboy's like saying no to you for seven days in a row. Just be like, all right, I understand. <laughs> all right, I get it. I'll find something. Okay. I'll find it. I'll try Abe. I'll go see what Abe's up to. <laughs> or somebody else in the BPRD that's He's on match.com with a or meet.com Liz. Liz. <laughs> oh, the, the the dating life of the BPRD agent. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's like a uh you know, like the uh level of like fan fiction I haven't really gotten into. Yeah, that's very funny if there's a bunch of I mean there's definitely we have a follow. Of course, there is. There's, we have a, a great follower on Instagram that um, has like custom art made for her and Hellboy, like in a relationship yeah. that's amazing. That, yeah, it's hugely out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. What's that like? Rule sixty two or whatever. What the fuck is it? I don't know. Yeah, you would know all these rules. These creepy internet rules. It's like the rule <laughs> of the internet, where it's like if it exists, there's porn of it. Yes, we've talked about this before. Yeah. <laughs> what year did this come out again? Then. Weird tell what which when did this story get published one more time? I think it was, I think it was I think it was 03. Let me double check. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing that up is like I find it very funny that there was an era in 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 a lot of pop culture and I'm associating this with like Fatal Attraction, Disclosure, the movie with Demi Moore harassing Michael Douglas, where it's funny that they like and I'm going to associate this with this story because it's funny how like pop culture took this leap and be like, Hey, we need to show how women can be predators too. Yeah. And it, and it happened before we ever really truly dealt with the fact that men have been predators for fucking ever. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And like we went, it's still, I'm sure it's still guys writing all of those screenplays and shit. Yeah. And they like, look, women can be bad too, but it's like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't dealt with the fact that men are bad. Yeah. <laughs> That, like the reason that this is a novel idea is because it doesn't happen that often. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But it's not to say that it never happens. You know, of course, like, I think that's, you know, 
that's when you get like stories of like men getting sexually assaulted. It does happen. For sure. But it's like, it's definitely like a, the context of it is important too. like knowing, you know, who's writing these stories and like what, I, like, I don't think that this Hellboy does that so much. Like, it's not like as bad as like, I don't know, Fatal Attraction's like really crazy. Yeah, I've never seen it. I heard it was nominated for Best Picture when it came out. So I guess I got to see it at some point. Disclosure is the one that stands out to me because that's like, truly about Demi Moore's character like that's like a sexual harassment case in an office where the woman is reversed but I'm like I don't feel like we've at that time we even dealt with like men's like we didn't properly have dealt with sexual harassment in the office I've never seen that one (laughs) I could be wrong oh yeah and it's fucking you know (laughs) (laughs) it's what's his name too Michael Douglas Uh, Michael Douglas from Fatal Attraction yeah, Michael Douglas is all over this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll pretend not to be attracted to Demi Moore. <laughs> if we put Michael Douglas it's in the movie, who would he play? He could probably play a broom, I guess. If we put Hellboy in, and it's broom dealing with sexual harassment at the BPRD. <laughs> he would be, maybe he could play Tom. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, pr- I'd make like... him a Tom. I don't think I would make him a broom. That's a good, a good call. He's like unattractive to me, but I guess I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm like he's in all of these movies where it's like, what a hot steamy movie, but it's also like, uh, yeah, but this is like Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just was like younger when his move, like these movies are coming. I don't know. Yeah, I don't find him to be attractive. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not attracted to him either. But maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, but maybe romancing the stone. Maybe you check out romancing the stone. Maybe he wins you over. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll <laughs> see if I can get if if he can convince me. Well, <laughs> that was a weird tangent <laughs> to, to, for, to for me. A very odd tangent for me I'm to get us see on. See if I can get attracted to Michael Douglas. Like, sexual harassment in the world and Michael Douglas. That really. Me trying to make our podcast important. Oh my god! <laughs> but that's it for weird tales. I thought they were all fun, but also not. I'm not. I'm moving on quickly yeah. from them. They're like a campy '80s movie that, like, you know, it's not. They're not one of the classics, but they're still fun to look at, and you know, yeah, that's it. That's a good way to put it. I like that. But that was great. We want to again hear from all of you about your thoughts on all these weird tales. Any thoughts yeah. on any thoughts you have on uh, Michael Douglas and sexual harassment in the office place? Uh, <laughs> if you're a big Michael Douglas head, don't be discouraged that just because I don't like Michael Douglas. Tell us your perfect Michael Douglas casting for the beat uh, yeah. for the Mignolaverse. That would be great. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You can email us at ahcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at ahcrapahellboypodcast, Twitter, ahcraphellboy. You want to definitely follow us because we have future giveaway coming. I'm still putting that in place and working those things out. We have some cool stuff that are that outside of just listening are going to be associated with the podcast. Just everything's not ready to go. I just want to keep you guys excited. Something is coming, coming. But again... We want to hear from you. We really appreciate all of you guys listening. I hope you're still staying safe. You know, even as we get into things easing up, I hope you are uh, smart about it. I don't. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I sort yeah. of lost my train of thought, but that's because that's because we're done. <laughs> you're just thinking about Michael Douglas now. Yeah, I'm trapped in Michael Douglas thought. He's in my head. 
I'm yeah. wondering what Michael Douglas movie I'm going to watch tonight. That's what He's I'm He's infiltrated about. your mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, everyone, for listening. And remember... We love you! Uh, this is the first episode that uh, eggs never got flown in. <laughs> My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.